the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Sunday, May 7th. Going to break down Lamar's contract in totality to start off this podcast in the uh, ripple effect it might have in terms of structure, in terms of numbers, the rankings, all that good stuff. Flip a little bit on to some more NFL updates and then a bit of a baseball discussion. The current winning percentages based on payrolls, the payroll outlook for some teams, and again, the ta- a tax salary recap. Where do we stand? Who's over? Who's, th- who's threatening to be over? Who's in really good shape? Which contending teams are looking at the tax or under the tax heading into the middle of May to start the 2023 season? That's next on the Spot Track Podcast. Lamar Jackson signed a five-year, $260 million contract with the Baltimore Ravens. It includes 185 practically guaranteed, 135 of that fully guaranteed at signing. Those are the numbers. These are the reasons those numbers should be considered wins, especially for a player operating without an agent. Uh, A lot of back and forth, a lot of up and down, a lot of shoulda, wouldas. Was he better off signing two years ago? Maybe. However, Dak Prescott gave him a template to work off of, and I think he secured himself extremely well at the end of this game. And Dak Prescott, to me, is the name, even contractually speaking, to to, to compare this all to. If we use percentages with the numbers I just gave you, now Dak did a four-year deal. So in context, Prescott's deal is the only deal percentage-wise that has more guaranteed at signing, more practically guaranteed based on total value contract. Because of the four-year structure with Dak, almost 60% of his fully guaranteed at signing, 78% of it practically guaranteed. And the Cowboys are about to find out what that means because he is entering the point of the contract, right? The third season where they have to already start looking ahead because year four is ugly. It is most, it's going to be half guaranteed. It carries an extremely high cap hit. And Dallas is pretty darn sure they want to keep him around. But a 59 and change cap hit for 2024 already looks like trouble. That's the context for Lamar Jackson's contract breakdown here. That's what we're looking at. Now, a little bit different approach. Just the way Dallas does business versus Baltimore. And even Baltimore stretched themselves a little thin here based on what they traditionally do. Dallas will go roster bonuses, high base salaries, we're going to restructure you. And they've done that with Dak twice already. <laughs> so there's a uh, there's a mechanism to how they operate. It's started off looking nice and big and round and then uh, chop it off and restructure it and make it a signing bonus at the end of the day anyway. Baltimore did basically the exact opposite. And Lamar, Lamar agreed to the triple bonus, something we've seen quite a bit, something we talked about quite a bit with Jalen Hurts. It is not something Baltimore has done in the past outside of Joe Flacco. Generally, it's signing bonus, one option bonus, a couple of high base salaries, and then the last year has a nice big roster bonus, which we'll get to in a second. They decided to go the triple bonus route, which means the cap hits are at least tenable over the next three seasons with Lamar's contract, and then it gets fun. And we'll talk about how fun it gets. Let's focus on the 135 guaranteed at signing. That's almost 52% of this overall contract. Uh, It's second all time. And just in terms of total value, it's, you know, 
almost 100 million less than Deshaun Watson's 230, the leader in the clubhouse. Again, that's the planet way down the way out of the galaxy that nobody appears to be touching right now or even focusing in on. But Lamar's 135 is not is 11 million more than this than third place Russell Wilson. It's 25 million more than Jalen Hurts three weeks ago. You know, it's 30 and change more than Kyler Murray about a year ago this time. Significant number. Now, most of those players, in fact, all of those players I just mentioned, were replacing current years. And in Jalen Hurts' case and Kyler Murray's case, rather inexpensive year fours. Lamar Jackson did not have that. He was working from scratch. You can consider the franchise tag at least a placeholder, a 32.4 million dollars. It was not an actual contract because it was not actually signed. So he was basically starting at zero. So to go from zero to 135, that's a big number because he previously did not have guaranteed salary built into his contract. Second all time, a very high percentage, really only Dak rivals it with uh, almost 60% of his four-year contract guaranteed out of the gate. But that's only two and a half years in context. When we're talking about Lamar, and this is something I like to break people away from, don't just focus on the number because a lot of times you'll see a number or we'll say a number and I'll say, this is the guarantee at signing. And I'll put a sentence right after it, which I think is even more important, which is all in year one or through next year, because that's what most NFL contracts are going to look like anyway. It's the out of the box contracts that get us talking like this a little bit more. Lamar Jackson has fully guaranteed at signing through through 2025 right now. Half of 2025 is already locked in in the form of that se- of that second option bonus. So all three of his bonuses fully guaranteed. 2023 base salary fully guaranteed. 2024 base salary fully guaranteed. 2024 workout bonus fully guaranteed. So in essence he's got two and a half years right out of the gate here which is a hell of a lot better than a franchise tag if we just put it in that kind of context. So what about next March? Uh, it's fifth fifth uh, league day triggers for early vesting, and that happens the next two Marches. So next March, on the fifth league day of 2024, all of that 2025 compensation becomes fully guaranteed. That's another 20 million plus another workout bonus. Obviously, he must participate in 80% of the workouts to uh, earn the cash. It is fully guaranteed, though, so it could de-escalate. What about 2026? Let's get to that fourth year in this contract. Fifth league day of 2025, so again, an early March fest. $29 million of 2026 locks in. Half. It's really strong. That's, uh, that's a big payment if they're going to move on from him prior to that and hand him that cash in hand. So he is stable based on the, uh, the early read on this contract. He is stable through 2026. The other part of the stability, and I kind of uh, buried the lead at the start here, is the cap. By going triple bonus, you're prorating the hell out of three different, you know, three different entities here, which means cap-wise, 22 this year, 33 next year, 43 and change in 2025. Doable. Those are doable cap hits. And you can tinker a little bit with some high base salaries and trim those down slightly, but not have to do a massive 
salary conversion really at any point in time over the next three seasons. The 2026 and 2027 cap hits right now are 74 and a half million. Now, the cap might be 260, the cap might be 270. I still think that's going to be an astronomically high number. It's possible that it's not as crazy as it seems right now because of where these leagues go. This, this kind of happens in the NBA. We'll see contracts get pushed out five years from now. And by the time we get to the middle of the contract, it's just normal. The numbers that are that are within that deal. I don't think 74 and a half on the cap is going to be normal anytime in the next, you know, three, four years. But I just wanted to say in context, the league could grow that quickly, that fast. However, let's just assume that it is going to be out of range. Uh, I mentioned how the Ravens generally put a big roster bonus in March, and generally the players push for it in the last year of their contract. Most players want this. Any good agent out there will tell you, we want to get something in March of the final year of the contract because it puts the onus back on the team. They don't have to, or they, they won't sit and wait until June 1st. They won't sit and wait until after the draft when to decide if your roster spot is still worthy. They now have you know, a, 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 a first, third, fifth day, league day of that year to decide upon you specifically or a roster bonus will be paid out. Now, Lamar didn't really get that done. Why? Because he's got a $74.5 million cap hit. And he's got one in 2026 as well, which means either a new contract is coming prior to 2026 or inside that offseason, or they're going to restructure, right? Process a salary conversion on the $51 million base salary in 2026, which makes 2027 even worse. Even worse. Talking north of 80 million, north of 90 million of a 2027 cap hit if they go that route. And I think they will. The way I see, I read this right now, and if you're looking at the, at the contract while watching this, while listening to this, excuse me, let the next three years completely ride out. They were built to do that. Let it happen. Don't get yourself in any more trouble than you have to right now. In February of 2026, you're going to have to deal with that $51 million base salary. I don't believe it'll be time for a new contract yet, but some teams do go that route. Some teams will say, let's take the remaining $104 million cash, turn it into mostly signing bonus, stretch out another extra three years, make this a new five-year contract, three years new, three years new. Maybe another 200 million cash, right? So we've got over 300 million on the next contract, which is going to be on par and go from there. That might be 51% likely right now that before 2026 league year even gets here and that $74.5 million cap it even has to touch the top 51, he's got a brand new deal. And that's a good move by him because that's his age 29 season. There's a lot of things lingering around 2026 injuries notwithstanding so he's got stability on the back end of those two years a because 29 million of that year is going to be fully guaranteed already and b because of the astronomical cap hits so i would guess that journey number one is three years completely untouched on this deal 156 million earned and let's start it all over that's all of the guarantee at signing plus an extra 20 million if we're putting it in context of how the out of the gate stuff looks. So it's very possible. And by the way, he'd be thrilled to do that. Thrilled, right? You're rolling 
essentially an extra 100 million over, the the bonus proration won't be too crazy. It's about 22 and a half million per year that would roll into the next couple of seasons. And then you start it over with the big signing bonus and, and go from there. Let's say it gets to 2027 and you've restructured 2026 a little bit because of that astronomical cap hit. That's when it gets funny. That's when it gets really onerous. We saw this with Stafford and Detroit quite a bit. The Cousins stuff in Minnesota has started to pile up a little bit, although it hasn't been to this level, right? Cousins has hung around the $30, $35 million mark, which has been doable. But when you start getting into the 50s, and that's where this is, this is $52 million a year in 2026 and 2027, respectively. Those are really hard numbers that just roll over or push down, which is going to bring me back to, I still think the best option is rip it up and start over after 25. It's possible that there are question marks with his future at that point. You know, I mean, this style of play is not sustainable for 15 seasons generally. So will Baltimore be in a position where there's no concerns and, and, and the contract can just be ripped up and started over? Or will they want to see how it plays out? That's what's tough. Because if you want to see how it plays out and they don't end up extending, A, there's no tag. There's a no tag clause. There's a no trade clause. So he has power over all of that, which means they would essentially have to let this thing ride and then let this thing void at the end of the 2027 league year. And if they've done a cap conversion, maybe even two, most likely two, if you're letting all five years ride out, you're talking in the 60s and 70s of dead cap, maybe even higher, depending on how much you've converted. So it could be five years, let this guy walk away from you at age 31 and you're sitting with a $65, 70000000 million dead cap hit for, uh, for your troubles. I'm not saying this is situation is unique to that, by the way. We had the same discussion with Jalen Hurts. If he doesn't get that third contract, there's going to be a point where at the end where it's just this big pillow of dead cap, and the team's just going to have to live with it, and it's going to stunt their ability to do whatever they have to do. If they don't have the new quarterback yet, if they have a roster that needs a lot of mouths to be fed, there's going to be a transitional point where they're going to have to balance getting through the quarterback, you know, the expiring quarterback situation so that they can get themselves into a financial health standpoint where they can continue to move forward. That's just going to be the norm with these because the Burrow contract is going to look similar. The Herbert contract might be more aggressive than this Lamar one, just reading the tea leaves. I think the Burrow one might be more like a Josh Allen spread way out going to allow more flexibility, won't have this big bucket of dead cap really at any point in time because of the uh, the structure of it. But when you're sitting in snug and tight like Dak's contract and Lamar's contract, and I think what we're going to see with Herbert, it gets really ugly at the back end if you're not willing at some point to chop it off and keep going. So you're risking the long-term effect. It's easier to go longer. It's way harder to stay short which is why I've been pushing players to take shorter contracts, put so much pressure on these teams, as we've seen. I don't think anybody believes Matthew Stafford was a Hall of Fame quarterback 10 years ago, but his contracts were, right? He was putting so much pressure on Detroit. And look, you can, you can make the argument that it was so much financial pressure that they couldn't build a good team around him. There's that argument to be made. Um, I don't think we're in that case yet with some of these other massive quarterback contracts, certainly not with Philly yet, but... The Jalen Hurts stuff is still young and new, and they have to they have a couple of seasons to get through this. Lamar is now 
rewarded Baltimore with those kind of patient seasons. Now, 22 on the cap isn't eight, you know? The Jalen Hurts contract, because it was replacing a rookie deal, offers unbelievable cap flexibility right now. $6.1 million on the cap in 2023. Lamar's at 22. But he was at, he was offered 32.4. So, again, where are you starting from and where are you finishing? He'll barely go north of 32.4 next season at 33 when the cap should be in the 240 range. So... Lot to unpack here. Let's uh, let's discuss a little bit how it ranks. I, I mentioned the guarantees. Uh, the practical guarantees are second to Watson, 185. The guarantee at signing, 135, second to Watson, 135. So if you want to chop Watson out of this equation completely, this is the highest average paid, the highest guarantee at signing, and the highest practical guaranteed contract in the history of football. That's what we dealt with an hour before the draft started, right? Structurally speaking, $80 million cash in year one, that is easily number one. And you know what that feels like? And you know what the negotiating tactic probably was? That you got to do this now because of what you didn't give me in the past couple of years, right? And the franchise tag and all this stuff, it feels like there's a lot of angst, right? A lot of back and forth. I think both sides are pretty happy right now, but that's a hell of a lot of money to front load. Percentage-wise, it's not as much as we've seen. You know, it is the biggest dollar figure, but it isn't the biggest jump from a, from a cumulative percentage up in front. I think most people would opt for $80 million versus a percentage game, right? Chasing percentages around. $80 million is pretty damn good for year one. The 185 in practical guarantees, by the way, is all guaranteed for injury right now. Not unimportant when we're talking about a player of Lamar's athleticism versatility and what he likes to do on the field. Um, is it the most front-loaded deal? No, it's not the most front-loaded deal, uh, which as we talked about, those back ends got $104 million sitting there with some astronomical cap hits. Uh, we've seen the Russells and, and, the, and the Kyler Murray deals and uh, even to some degree, the Dak Prescott deal hold a little bit more weight early on in terms of a front-load. But again, you got $80 million this year. You're going to walk away with at least 156 million off of this contract if they don't if they, if they decide to chop it up after 2025 like I'm talking about here. Uh, we mentioned the workout bonuses. There's not much more to this because of so much cash being pumped into option bonuses and that big signing bonus. The 72 and a half million dollar signing bonus is the largest in NFL history. Dak Prescott 66 was the current belt winner. So again, obliterated that record over the last couple of days here with this contract. There are two void years built into this thing based on the option bonuses being exercised. They're fully guaranteed option bonuses. 28 and 29 will automatically void at the end of the 2027 league year. Right now, that's about $12.5 million of dead cap. I expect it to go up, and it will go up if 2026 is converted into signing bonus. If it isn't, then that's just going to get rolled into the next contract. So let's say they go three years, start over, Take the $29 million guaranteed out of 2026, add another 50, make it a signing bonus, and start a whole brand new five-year, $300 million contract. You're going to have proration in 26, 27, 28, and 29 transferring from this contract to the next contract. But again, it's not an astronomical number. It's not a, it's not a ton, a ton, a ton of dead cap to be transferring over. And the earlier you do it, the better you do it. Because obviously, if you're turning 2026 into a signing bonus, that's you're just adding more and more to that 
for an eventual extension in March of 2027. So um, I've seen quite a bit about how the back end of this is a little bit weak. And if you had an agent, maybe you'd be stronger. I'm not sure that's ever going to be a real conversation. I think there's a there's a real chance that Lamar understands that if he plays the way he can play and this team builds the way they can build over the next two off seasons, 2025 could be a very successful season in his age 28 year, which should be considered prime for a lot of players. And uh, it could be a really, really great time for the entire organization to go through a massively successful season that turns immediately into, into negotiations of out of this contract and into the next one. Uh, Cash flow is excellent. Not as it's not top tier. Like I said, 112 through two, 156 through three, 208 through four, and the full 260 by five. There's no incentives. That one's a little puzzling to me, uh, simply because most teams like to build in playoff incentives and things like that, just so so that there's something in contractually speaking that gets the player invested in January out of the gate immediately. There's no per game active bonuses either. So it's possible that there was a give and take there because Kyler Murray certainly has rather sizable per game active bonuses. And he, he's, you know, up for forfeiting some of those if he's not going to be active for week one here, which is, I think is a, I think a decent possibility based on the rehab schedule that we've seen so far. So a win for Lamar in that regard, not that he's often injured, but certainly the risk is there. And again, the no, the no franchise tag clause, um, Small tangent on that, and then we'll change gears. It made me think, you know, Dak Prescott's the only other player that that has the don't tag me clause. Garoppolo had it before he hit free agency this year. So he had it on his last contract with San Francisco. But right now it's only Dak and it's Lamar, players that have dealt with the franchise tag. Now, Dak played on it, got injured on it, got offered the second one, then signed the extension immediately. Lamar was offered, never signed, and here we are. Should it be allowed? Is this an easy one for the NFLPA to push back against? Should it be allowed for Lamar to be offered the franchise tag, as he just was? Signs this extension. So let's say we're five years down the road. It's 2028. And he is now a pending free agent, having completed this five-year contract. Should the Baltimore Ravens be allowed to offer him another franchise tag as the team that has already done that once in, in their history? I think that's an easy no, an, a slam dunk no. Now you want to go, I'm not saying that takes away the back-to-backs. So they get him once this year, had he signed this tag, I think it's okay that he, he gets offered another one next year because it's pretty incredible money on the 120% increase. But that gap, right? The second that a franchise tag happens and then maybe it's X number of years, right? Three years later, Lamar Jackson would be ineligible to ever get a franchise tag from the Baltimore Ravens ever again. That seems like a no-brainer because the the... Chance of it happening is so low. However, how dirty would it be right? if Lamar got the tag, got this contract done after all this animosity, and then at age 31 had to deal with another franchise tag situation? I, you know, that's year 10 for him, going on 11 in service time. To me, that is already, that is a super vet 
And in the NBA, like that's un- that would be unheard of for a 10-year vet to be dealing with something like that. Unheard of. Now, different element, different animal. I, I just think that's an easy one for the NFLPA to win. It sh- Lamar shouldn't even need this clause, is my point. Dak Prescott shouldn't even need this clause after what they've gone through. Sure, you want, uh, you want to keep a young superstar rookie that you just had on, on a rookie wage scale. You want to give yourself a chance to extend him or see it, see it out on a franchise tag. That's fine. That's fine. But none of this tag, sign, then re-tag way down the line. To me, that's, that's too much. That's too much control. Too much control for a team. Lamar, at some point, deserves his free agency. So good on him for getting this done because the, even the element of concern was in his mind that this could happen at his, because he is 30 years old when this completed, going on 31 years old. So, of course, that's not unrealistic, right? And there's a chance he's got six years left in his career at that point in time. And maybe he's the best quarterback option for the team at age 31. And they just don't want to let him walk. They want to at least control his rights. So good on him for getting the tag. Is there a need for that tag, though? Shouldn't there be something that the NFLPA can push back on at some point and say, no, no, this scenario can never happen? That one seems like a no-brainer for me. All right, switching gears quickly. Uh, Another big extension last week reported. Details not yet available to us, but Dexter Lawrence, the Giants defensive tackle, the number 17 overall pick back in 2019, Signs a reported four-year, $90 million extension. He was set to play out the fifth-year option on $12.4 million. And that now is going to become $60 million guaranteed. That's probably the practical guarantee. I imagine the guarantee at signing is a little bit less than that as uh, Deron Payne's $55 million is the leader in the clubhouse right now. So it's possible that the Giants have locked in all 60 up front. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons at 47 guaranteed at signing. Aaron Donald, 46 and a half on a smaller contract. And we saw Jonathan Allen at about $31 million this past year. So there's a, it's been a really nice defensive tackle offseason. I think there's a chance Chris Jones re-ups at some point in time as well. It sounds like Quinn and Williams and the Jets are pretty far apart, rightfully so. That's a contract that should soar past all of the numbers I've just given you. Uh, but the $22.5 million per year is right in line with all those other players at the top of this list right now. That is kind of the going rate on an average annual that Quinn and Williams really should get closer to 25 at some point in time with Aaron Donald over 30 as the unicorn in this whole equation. Okay. A couple of baseball notes here. I was uh, in the midst of watching Sunday night baseball during this recording Dodgers Padres. Nice matchup. Maybe the best final matchup we have going right now outside of like the Braves. Mookie Betts was an on-field interview for about eight seconds, which got me thinking, these guys have got to be getting a little bit of coin for this, right? The union wouldn't just let them go out there and do this. I've seen it most Sunday nights now. I know Nimmo did it. I know Bryce Harper has done it in the past. It's been some, uh, honestly, some pretty compelling TV. Most of these guys know what they're doing and can kind of handle it. And at some point in time, we've seen a couple of balls come their way while being mic'd up. That's uh, terrifying and both exciting at the same time. $10,000 is what these players are being paid for what in Mookie Betts case, like I said, it was like an eight second interview. It was like a bloop, uh strikeout and a ground ball double play out of the inning. And he did most of his interview running off the field to the dugout. So uh, there are definitely worse ways to make $10,000. Uh, if you're Mookie Betts, not that uh, his gigantic contract needs any more love, but I thought that was a fascinating little tidbit to get in here in the middle of this thing. Let's talk more 
about the team side of things. Um, interesting. Now six weeks in, let's put it that way. Uh, the raise at the top still doesn't surprise me. For all of you screaming that the schedule is easy and that they were going to come back down to earth, you have not been watching baseball for the past five years. At least this team can compete. They know how to compete. They know how to adjust. They know how to build rosters that can compete really throughout the entire season. Are they going to run off 20 in a row? No, that's not that kind of team. They're going to have their ups and downs. They, they load manage themselves. They load manage their staff with openers and, and closers and, and uh, five, six pitchers a day. They are not exciting most days. They are effective and they are efficient and they are built by numbers, 100%. It's one of those things that guys like me geek off on, but they have the, they have the top dog. They have the, the, an 800 winning percentage right now, which is by far the best in baseball. Uh, it's, I think, the best 20-game stretch, the, first, the best 20-win season that we've seen out of the gate, most efficient. They're at the top of this thing. And for all the A's and the Royals and things like that right now, the White Sox, kind of the annual suspects the last few years. The Rays are the annual suspects at the top of this thing, as are the Braves, as are the Dodgers, all in the top six right now in terms of win percentage, and the Dodgers have a chance to increase that in a couple of minutes here. Some surprises at the top. Baltimore, we knew, was going to turn a corner, um, but this AL East is all in because Boston's in the top seven. I thought they were kind of living for dead here. They're at least hanging around. They're off and a really nice stretch over the past two weeks. I just don't think they have a rotation that can stay healthy. So uh, whatever they're doing right now is great. Can they sustain it? I don't believe so. So will, will they supplement it with either an, ar an arm from their prospect pool or from a trade? Will they be early trade getters, understanding they have to supplement this whole thing because of Chris Sale and Cordy Kluber at some point are just not going to be able to keep this thing going? Possibly. It's possibly that they are. They thought they were a year away, and this start gets them energized earlier than they wanted to, and that's good for baseball. If they're back in the conversation, that's good for the base for baseball. From a win percentage standpoint, the Rays, the Blue Jays, the Orioles, and the Red Sox are top seven. I didn't mention the Yankees, right? Because they're fourteenth. <laughs> so if you had that reversed heading into the season, you are not alone. And no, that's not going to stay that way. But it is the story right now, in my opinion, driving this thing. Texas was supposed to be here. They spent an inordinate amount of money to get here. I don't know if it's sustainable. I do like the pitching staff. They're doing this right now without Jacob deGrom, who they're going to slow play back with his recent shoulder and elbow issues. But even if they get three good months out of, out of Jacob deGrom, it appears that they are deep enough. It appears they are deep enough to at least make a run at a wild card and then sneak themselves in because Houston really is banged up. A uh, couple of the pitchers now are going to be out. Altuve's still not back yet in full capacity. They're a 500 baseball team, as are the Mets, as are the Cubs, as are the Mariners. Three of those four teams were probably supposed to be competing for uh, for a division right now. And I put the Yankees as well, by the way, a point five one four, um, and another loss today. So they're down. They're actually down to 500 as well. Those are those are four out of five teams hovering around the 500 mark that should be competing for a division. And if I add the Guardians in there, just slow starts, maybe. A couple of those teams might blow it up. <laughs> a couple of those teams, we might see a couple of coaching changes by July 4th. Uh, certainly, I would say a couple of prospect call-ups and maybe some surprising DFAs with some expensive players that have to get paid their salaries anyway. Um, there will be some overreactions, maybe not yet, May 7th, but 
you start talking June in Major League Baseball and start smelling that July 4th and that trade deadline and, and all that good stuff, you will start to see some big decisions from teams that can afford to do so, by the way. Uh, bottom of this thing, I guess the only surprise down there is the Cardinals, and that's a big surprise. That's a team, again, that should be right there with the Cubs, right there in that division, at least competing all year round. We, we, we knew their pitching staff was going to be flimsy, and if they wasn't able to stay healthy, they weren't going to be able to hold up the lights of this thing. But they're just not hitting. There's too, too many outfielders, not enough one through nine production. It looks a little bit like the Mets do right now. Uh, certainly a team I've seen quite a bit of, but I've also seen a, a bunch of this Cardinal stuff as well. There's a catcher problem with uh, one Contreras. I, there's probably some, uh, some locker room stuff going on that won't get reported publicly. That is maybe the biggest benefactor to this all, but this was a flawed team out of the gate. Now, can they, uh, can they supplement themselves a little bit to turn a Boston Red Sox two-week stretch in, get themselves back in the conversation? I'm not sure. But from a percentage standpoint, this is the third worst team in baseball right now, and that's kind of unacceptable when you talk about the Goldschmidts and the Arenados and a lot of the youngsters that have looked really good over the past couple of off-seasons here. So will they right the ship? I, I think there's plenty of time. Will they do something aggressive to start that process? I would say yes, and I don't think it's making a catcher a DH. That's, uh, that's more of a punishment, it sounds like, than it is a roster transaction. I do think there's some real transactions coming with a couple of these teams, and I put them at the top of that list. And finally, sticking with Major League Baseball to finish this thing off, it's a good time to reevaluate the tax situation in Major League Baseball. Currently, seven teams trending north of that tax threshold, which this year is $233 million. Obviously, the Mets, who got the most discussion this offseason, uh, are obliterating this thing. They currently stand at about 379 an estimated tax payroll with a bill of about $107 million. So you can do the math and understand what they're about to be paying for a 500 team. Things better change quickly. The Yankees are right behind them. Uh, 297 on the overall payroll, set to pay a bill of about $34 million. By the way, none of this matters till the end of the season. So there's a lot of time for change, a lot of time for reduction. The Padres are currently third, right behind the Yankees, really, about $20 million behind the Yankees, which means a bill of about $26 million. And then it gets closer to the fringe. So we've got the Phillies at about 260, the Blue Jays at about 253, the Dodgers at 246, and the Braves at 243. So contenders outside of the Mets and the Yankees who are floundering, uh, and the Phillies who uh, I don't know that they can sustain any kind of winning season this year despite Bryce Harper's return and what looks like a rejuvenator in Aaron Nola finally. A uh, lot of National League, right? Two, two American leagues, five National League teams here. I think a couple of division winners who can justify it. Um, I believe the Dodgers' plan is to get under it, even though the, the Trevor Bauer stuff did sink them a little bit and put them in the situation they're in right now. But it seems to me like the Braves, the Dodgers, maybe the Blue Jays can get themselves right, though I don't believe there's a world where the Blue Jays want to shed $20 million right now and get closer to that threshold. I think, if anything, they're going to be adding because they smell blood a little bit and they know how deep they are in that roster. Um, what about the, the slightly unders? The, the Angels are at about 232 and change. So literally tens of thousands underneath this threshold. So any kind of move in terms of adding is going to put them back over. Uh, the Cubs are about five, six million away. They're a 500 team. I think some of us thought they'd be a little bit better than this. There's a world where they add. There's a world where they just ride this season out. 
and understand that they could be the big spenders next offseason and really make a Texas Rangers type push. I think that's probably where we're headed, but notable that they're at least in the top 10 here. And the Giants round out the top 10, a team that I think was trying to make that big financial push this past winter. It didn't work in their favor. They ended up going with a little bit of depth. They're not winning a ton of ball games right now. Uh, they're in a loaded division, as you know. My guess is it's a similar sentiment to the Cubs. Let's just slow play this a little bit, see what we have to do. And if we have to add $40 million in tax salary next year, we'll do it. But not if Juan Soto stays with San Diego, right? Not if Otani becomes a Dodger. I think that's going to change quite a bit of a mindset in San Francisco, but who knows? Texas is just outside the top 10, by the way, even after all that spending. They've been able, able to spread things out quite a bit. And uh, there is actually $12 million or so to be spent there before they even can go over that 233. So they're in halfway decent financial shape, despite what seems like two back-to-back top spending off seasons. Okay, that's it for uh, your NFL MLB primer. We'll be back with some more NBA roundups as the playoffs continue. Philly's doing their thing. James Harden's making himself a legitimate free agent candidate now, not just a, uh, a wannabe. He's now done this twice to the Boston Celtics. And uh, he's had four or five legitimate playoff games, something he hasn't been able to put on his resume in the past. He's now, at the, to me, at the forefront of this free agent conversation. Uh, will this Philly situation be able to stay together or will Harden price himself away from Daryl Morey and Philadelphia 76ers next season? Plenty more of that, right? The Jalen Brown extension saga. We talked about some of the bigger teams that are out of the postseason right now. But look, your sons are a floundering team in this postseason, could be out here soon. If that happens... Get ready for Keith Smith to come on and talk all about that team because the uh, midseason trade, the, uh, the the lack of youth, the lack of depth, the Chris Paul scenario, plenty to talk about with Phoenix. So uh, plenty more to come here on the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti for Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.